0: So, um, confining places. You know, when I was first exploring this series, it had to do with my own situation that was going on. I mean, the adversity series flows out of time when I was away on a medical sabbatical in 2015. And I was thinking a lot about this idea of of sort of being stuck in something or in a situation I didn't want to be in. And it brought me towards Paul because I was starting to think about it. I said, you know, the Apostle Paul was someone who understood what it was like to feel limitation and to feel stuck and to not have the freedom and the autonomy that he desired. And so there were two passages in particular that kind of came to my mind and I want to use them very quickly to sort of work off of them. You can notice they're both in the handout there. The first one is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. Paul writes and it says, now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and he illuminated the way of li- way to life and immortality through the good news. So Paul starts out with this expansive declaration about who Jesus is as the Savior and how he has broken the power of death and shown us the path of life. And he's talking about this good news, which is another way of saying the gospel, this message of Jesus, of his death, his burial, his resurrection and the transforming power that he can bring into a, a person's life when we open up our hearts towards him. And then Paul goes on to say, and God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of this good news. And I remember reading this. I remember reading this at the time, just thinking about this idea of adversity. And I think, oh, yeah, Paul saw himself as someone, legitimately so, who had been really called by God to preach this great message of Jesus. And, and he had thrown his heart into it. And he had done it with a kind of abandon that was far more than casual. It was an intense commitment that flowed out of this man's life towards Jesus. And I couldn't help as I read that one about his glowing report about who Jesus is and then two about how he himself had been called to share that message, I couldn't help but be a little bit jarred by what followed on the heels of that statement. Because look what he says. He says after declaring the fact that he's representing Jesus and he's a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this great message. He says, and that's why I'm suffering here in prison. And that's why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And, I, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Now, look at that closely. And what do you see? He, he says, here's the message. Here's, I've been fully committed to sharing that message. And then look where it got me. I'm sitting in, I'm, I'm in prison. I'm suffering in prison. Now, I'm looking at that and I'm going, well, one, Lord, you know, man, you, this is how you take care of your people. That was part of the I was thinking. Paul, would have, Paul probably could have easily had an attitude of, so this is what happens when you really put yourself out for the Lord? Don't, why, why isn't it when someone puts themselves out in this way, what, wouldn't you think that maybe they could get a little bit of protection going on? Maybe exempted? You know, what we, what's fascinating here is what we don't hear Paul saying. He doesn't go, you know, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to me? Look how much I've done for you. There's no venting. There's no sense of, you owe me, Lord. Look, I, I've given you everything. I've thrown myself into preaching this good message. And this is what this gets me. And when we read this, we go, oh yeah, you know, um, that's why I'm suffering here in prison. Now that, that phrase is like, that means it's so, we can read it so fast. Don't run past it. Suffering, suffering is not an easy thing. It's hard to suffer. Maybe some of us at some level in our life feel that that we are suffering. To suffer is to be in pain, and suffering isn't easy. It might be something that has a physical component to it. It might be something that is relational. It might have an emotional side to it something that really is sitting with us in our mind. When we suffer, when we suffer, that's hard. And I look at Paul and I say, "Why?" Wow, he says I'm suffering and in prison. And what he meant by that was, you know, he was literally in a, in a jail cell. And he was not free. He was, he was confined. He was, he was not experiencing the ability to move as he chose. He was hindered. This was, this was his situation because of his, in his case, in because of his situation was connected to what he had done for Jesus. But my, my point is, his, what I'm trying to get at is his attitude. He goes, you know what, I'm not ashamed of this. Part of what I hear there is not only am i am not ashamed, in other words, I'm not, in, I'm not like backing away from this and somehow allowing it to affect how I think of him. Everybody, nobody says, no, I, I know the one in whom I trust. This is not something that's shaking my faith. It's not like he's holding up his fist and saying, why, Jesus? You know, why, why, if I've given so much, are you allowing me to suffer almost directly because of it? Like, why am I here in prison? Now I'm not free because of what I'm doing and committed for you. Is this the way it's supposed to work? I don't hear that. All, what we hear from this is this, you know, Lord, I, I love you. My confidence in you is unshaken. I believe, just <laughs> as, and I think he uses the word guard intentionally because I suspect it was a guard very near to him, and he writes it down, I know that you I know that I can trust you with my life, and I I know the one I have trusted, and I know that you are able to guard what I have entrusted to you until that day. I mean this is a tremendous statement of faith on his part. But what it reminded me of again is the absence of of complaint, the absence of grievance, the absence of a sense of entitlement and the And the willingness on his part to say, Lord, even though I'm in this difficult place of suffering and confinement, in my case, because of my willingness to step forward on your behalf, I have nothing in my heart other than utter confidence in your unshakable faithfulness and goodness. I trust you implicitly. I am not ashamed of you. That's a great word. I found myself saying, wow, Lord, you know, this is helpful. And then look at the second passage there in, in Acts 26. Look what he says. He's, he, in this situation, he's before the king Agrippa. And he's having to kind of explain why uh, he, he's, he's, he's basically trying to defend himself. He's got chains on him. He's being brought into this interview before the Roman governor. These very powerful men. Uh, and a king and a queen who were over a local region named Agrippa and Bernice. And they were, part with, they were with Festus here, the Roman governor. And they were, they were basically trying to ask Paul, what have you done to get so many people mad at you? And why are you, I'll try to explain, the Roman governor wanted to understand why Paul was such a problem. Or why so many people were angry with him. And, and he, because he couldn't understand it. And this, the, some of the things that were going on with Paul and, and the, the groups of people who were upset with him for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, his own countrymen, as he says, fellow Jews, who were part of, you know, in some cases his former colleagues. Uh, there was a lot of people who were angry with, with Paul. Paul starts explaining himself. As he explains himself, he starts having this conversation with Agrippa. They have this great exchange. He starts talking about how, you know, Paul says, "My life was changed by by Jesus. I used to hate him." I, 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 he, but I met him, and it changed everything. My life was altered. I've been sharing who he is with everyone I can, and it's created quite the stir. And and then Paul says to the Roman governor, and you know, and he, he says, and he says, Agrippa, you know this as well. To, to the king, he says this. He says, you know that these things have been going on, and they were not done in secret or in a corner, right? And so he starts. Paul's very passionate about his. Commitment and love for Jesus. Watch what he says. You can see it there in the handout. Then Agrippa says to Paul, ha, you almost persuade, you keep this up. I mean, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You read Acts 26. It's a great exchange. Then Paul said, you know, I I love Paul's response. You can see it here. I would to God that not only you, but everybody who hears me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except of course for these, these chains that I obviously would want no one to have and we cannot miss the irony when you read it. When you go back, I'm only, I only we only put two of the verses in there from that 26th chapter and that exchange that occurs. But you, you cannot, mi- when you look at it, you cannot miss the irony. It, 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 it struck me, uh, you know, here is the prisoner declaring to the ki- a king and a governor, right, the power of Rome and a power of and a, and a person of great privilege, all represented in that room, and he basically says, you know what? I wish you guys were like me, except of course for these chains and the fact that I'm. I'm essentially not free. But the point is, listen, Paul wasn't pretending the chains were good. He wasn't saying, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a wonderful thing that I'm, I'm here in chains. What he was saying, though, is that he wasn't limited by them, right? He did not allow his limitation to limit his testimony of Jesus, nor to define him in defeat or despair. This is not a beaten man. This is not a man saying, why would God let me have to go through this? I mean, if I serve such a one as him and I'm so committed, then why am I sitting here with chains on my hands? He didn't say that. He said, you know what? The truth is, I absolutely wish you had what I have. I would love for you to know him. I would love for you to have everything that I have in my life, except, of course, for these chains. Chains, listen. Chains are tough. Chains bind and confine. They are things that hang on to us. They hurt. They're heavy. They're a hassle. And these type of things, they testify to our limitations, right, to our pain, to our loss of freedom, to our loss of autonomy. They're the things in our lives that remind us of what is hard. This is a hard thing for me. Sometimes a chain is, a ble- is, is the loss of a blessing we once enjoyed and which we could get back. We walk with this, this heaviness. I think again, I was thinking of Paul standing there with his chains going, Lord, I think a lot of us have experienced chains and maybe right now there are certain things, if you can use the analogy, that we feel in our lives that are really, they hinder, they're hindering our ability to move forward in the kind of love and freedom we want to. They're like kind of haunt us. They might be things from our past. There might be things that are connected to choices we've made. There might be things that we had no control over, but we feel hindered by them at some level confined by them. Certainly, certainly we wish we didn't have them and they're hard. And sometimes we understand what it's like because they are painful and we feel like we're suffering and we carry them with us. You know, and I I, again, I look at this and I say, wow, Lord, it, it reminded me of my own story. I mentioned earlier that I was on a medical sabbatical for a significant portion of 2015. And during that time, I know not all of you know this, but I was struggling with my voice. And I had I, I had a vocal surgery, um, and then on top of that, my body, even before the surgery, I was already, at a st- I had stretched it so hard, and I was already kind of on an edge, um, just I wasn't doing great. And then I had to have the surgery, and it it like was a tipping point for me. And so this series, so centered around adversity, is not something actually that is just, something i'm sharing theoretically it's, it, it really is a product of my own experience of my an outgrowth if you will of my can i say it this way of my personal time in confinement and and in that sense it, it, what i'm about to share is very personal for me intensely personal and one of the things i remember i remember thinking about this passage i remember writing the core of what would ultimately become this message. And I remember writing these thoughts down. And one of the things that really I, I thought about, I remember one time I was sitting, it was sitting in a chair and I was, I was just writing because I was feeling so poorly. This was after what I'm about to talk about. And I was just sitting there and I was going, you know, Lord, one of the things that I, I look forward to someday, I can't see it right away, but I dream of the day when I will be able to, to share. I, and I remember I, I, I wept. I would have the deep privilege of sharing the things that I had a chance to learn in this kind of spiritual, biblical, emotional level while I was in the throes of despair and intense hardship. And I said, Lord, I I dream of being able to strengthen the people that that you've allowed me to be able to touch in some way. The flock I love, the people who are connected to us, this community. And and that was something that kind of touched me in a way that gave me hope, too, that that something of what I was walking through could be a blessing, right? And anyway, so, because I think most of us know that periodically we're going to find ourselves stuck in a place, in a situation, a struggle we don't want to be in. Maybe some of us are there right now, imprisoned, uh, almost, like like Joseph in an Egyptian hellhole, or Paul in the prison we just read about, or Daniel in the den. the bottom line is we find ourselves in places we don't want to be, feeling feeling pain in a way we don't want to feel it. And in some cases, some of us, we do not see an easy end to this thing. We're going to have to walk through. This is a journey we're going to be making. It's like, how do I do this, Lord? How do I, I feel that I carry this with me. How do I move through this? Let me throw a couple of things up. All right, we'll just put it out there. One of them, this first one, is so obvious, but I would need to say it. Confining places are hard places. They're places of sadness, they're places of loss, they're places of limitation. Again, places where liberty or freedom or flexibility are curtailed. Like we're in a cell, so to speak, like Paul, attached to a guard. We're tethered. We're free. We, we can move around, but we're, we're not free. It's like oh, I was thinking about that guard because wherever Paul went, that guard had to go with him. Wherever he goes, to go out, you gotta go You can't go by yourself. Right? He's kind of under house arrest at some of this time. Some of the time, he was in a more confined environment. Later on, the bottom line is this: there are certain things that we carry. We don't want them, but wherever we go, they come with us. But I don't want. I don't want you. You're like, this is hindering me. Yeah, yeah. But it just comes. We're connected. See, that's what I'm talking about. And as I was looking at that, I was going, oh, Lord. But th- that's, that's where a lot of us really can struggle. Sometimes it's because of, again, like I said, decisions we've made. We've got nobody to blame but ourselves sometimes. That's hard. Sometimes it happens because of choices other people make. And that, that, that affects us. And we're having to work through that stuff. And, and, and then maybe sometimes it's just like some combination of everything said somebody did something or a situation happened and then we didn't respond right to it and then we've ended up creating our own stuff around it and it's just, it's hard, it's painful, it's difficult and it's like, it hangs on us, it's, it's connected to us. We feel confined by it and yet, and some of us, if we've never learned how to struggle through things, uh, it could, it, a lot of times when, when we're really forced to deeply have to get past sort of this, it could be really hard, really hard. And I just hear me. I some things I've, you've heard me say this before. For someone, something I might be walking through, they might go, "Oh, what's the big deal?" But may, and maybe for me, I might go, "Oh, you know what? What you're dealing with, you know, just kind of, you just gotta like get past it, yeah. right?" But then it's like we're different. So what may be nothing, like you'll know, snap that thing off and move on for someone else. For me, is like clipped on there, and I can't get it off. Right? The more I pull it, the the, heart, the more it stays connected on me. Can't get out. How do I get out of this, Lord? How do I get free out of this? I hate it. What do I do? How, where's my pathway of breakthrough here? When's this going to end? What's going to be the end of this story? How do I get past this? This hurts. I hate this. You don't understand what I'm saying? Okay. Perhaps for me, now to share one more layer, perhaps for me my, my lowest point was now almost like two years ago. It was right after my vocal surgery. Again, I mentioned my nerves were already frayed. Before I even went into the surgery, I was already noticing stuff. By the time I got out, I was noticing my hands were shaky. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was either, the medicines weren't, I was like, I was not, I, I noticed my hands that I always, I couldn't, and then, my tongue, when they went in there, they went inside, and when they had to cut it out down in there, they hit a nerve in there, and so my tongue, half of it was numb. It w- it, and and they, I said, well, how long is that going to be? Because I can barely, like, can't, I, 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 it's really bothering me. They said, well, it might be a couple weeks, but we can't say for sure. Well, it ended up being two months for me. But then on top of it, when I came right back from the surgery, again, already not in a good place, even thinking about what it all meant. There was other stuff happening I was working through around it. I couldn't talk. Now, for me, <laughs> I'm a talker, right? Like, so they, this is, so I, I had never not been able to talk, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you, you're going to get this. I'm already like, again, my body's already on edge, right? It, from the beginning of the year, I was already, I, I wasn't handling certain things, certain losses well. And then I was already, then I had to start thinking about, I'm going to lose control here. I'd never been away from the church ever for any significant amount of time. Now I was being told, oh, I was being given the privilege of being able to go on a medical sabbatical. I say that tongue-in-cheek because for me, it's like sabbaticals are like when you choose to go on a sabbatical, not when you're being told to go on a sabbatical. Because when you're told to go on a sabbatical, that's like, well, I don't really want to do that, right? well, you can't even talk. (laughs) When I get home for seven days, they say, you can't talk. I didn't handle it well. I was unable to communicate with my trusted tool that I had come to rely on and had no idea if it would ever come back to me. All right? And so I had to, for those first seven days or so, I had to write things down. I couldn't talk, so I was going, I was writing things down. Like Zechariah, you read Luke chapter 1, Zechariah loses his voice, he has to write things on a tablet. I had my tablet, at least my version of it. Except it wasn't, it it was a yellow tablet. It was this tablet. (laughs) And I remember, because I hadn't looked at this for a little while, my wife had saved it. But when I got home, I started writing on it, because I couldn't talk. So I say to her, I I would say stuff like, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, actually. (laughs) <laughs> How long till this anesthesia where he wears off? Maybe he's good. Oh, can I swallow yet? How big is the pill? My f- f- oh, throat feels real dry. Rice, oh, oh, I'm all kinds of stuff. I start writing. I can't talk. I, was there, I remember there were times where I was going. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> Write some more. I, I couldn't say anything. So, like, so. I, I was writing stuff, all kinds of stuff. I started reading through this thing. I go on very weak, very dependent on grace, whatever courage he could give me. Uh, how long does this last for? You know, I forgot. Uh six days ago, he said, still, I, you know, I could be, okay. Stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I am t- more tired today, fatigued a bit. Do you think, poster? No sleep. I feel like Job. <laughs> 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 I want to talk. Maybe I'll honor God with my silence, right? I guess keep going. You can see. I mean, just pay. I mean, just, this is my, this was what it was. It was hard for me. Hard. 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 <laughs> hard. You know what I'm saying. In pain. And then after that, I go, Lord, I was so, f- there were times, I'd be, on- this on. after I was, there were times where I started getting so frustrated because I wasn't healing fast enough. And it was other th- and I, other stuff was like showing up in me, and I was feeling physically, mentally, emotionally for even more complex reasons. I can tell you the truth. This is not. A, there was a couple of times in the following months where I feared. I go in my head. I said, I wonder if I will ever get back. I feared. I genuinely feared it. So confining places are hard places, and again, they may have to do with our health. They may have to do with relationships, but they might have stuff with our vocations, our career, might have to do with our identity, our insecurities, our deepest struggles. Look what, oh, I put this in your handout as well. First uh, Peter one six through seven says this. Check it out. So be truly glad. Look, this is the last piece of scripture we're going to look at. This is be truly glad. This is one. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It kind of reveals and it helps create a quality of faith. It is being tested, as fire tests and purifies gold. Let that image sit with us. Through though your faith is far more precious than just mere gold. So when your faith remains strong. Ah, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So, number two, what do we see? We see that confining places can also be places of refinement and transformation. And I can say this with absolute certainty that when the Lord is welcomed in to our confining places, the things that we don't want and are struggling with and are hard, that he can turn them into something that will be transformative. Because you know why? Confining places can be the places where God burns things out of us. Like metal being refined. And that dross, the impurities, rises to 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 the top. And when we welcome the Lord into these things in our lives, these seasons, these situations, these unfun, painful places that beat the life and joy out of us. When we welcome him into those places, what we, what we will notice is that something starts to change in us. And sometimes that change is imperceptible. It's just like a little bit here and a little bit there. It's so gradual, you don't even notice it. Like something is just growing. It's a very little thing. You know, ah, nothing's really happening. Oh, something's happening. Other times the change, there'll be something that will happen and you will go, that change in me right now is so dramatic, so different than what I would have done in, before this happened to me, before this season in my life that it is almost impossible not to notice it. It's sometimes stunning to, to recognize the change that can occur. Sometimes we are dismayed. If You can be dismayed, like in this heat, of the, you start to get dismayed by what is actually rising to the surface. You're going, you're going what is this? this is in me? This is the stuff in me? It's in there. It's just coming up now. And now, now we're really working through stuff. Sometimes the things that have been so central in our life you know we've got interests here and hobbies there and and some relationships that we, we like a lot and career goals and we work possessions that mean a lot to us and we want to purchase this and all and we're working to what, a lot, you know a lot of times in the confining crucible those things we begin to realize they don't mean that much to me things that we're like zero on you know how this looks and how that how i come across and the image of here all of a sudden I say. That doesn't really matter. Right now, that's actually not, that, that didn't mean that much to me. I, but I was pouring so much into this, but you know what? You know what they, it showed? It showed that it really wasn't what it was. When the heat comes on, when the pain is real, when we're in this place of confinement and it's hard to get out, all of a sudden things that we thought were important aren't that as important. And other things start to emerge that we thought, well, you know, they were there good, all of a sudden, things start to come up that are very important. I'll tell you this: as a follower of Jesus, one of the things that starts to emerge is your walk with God. All of a sudden, that's huge. Huge. Like, oh, yeah, I go. No, no, it means something. It's like, oh, and the relationships that I establish, the investments that I make in the community, learning how to how to be connected with other people who love the Lord and who can encourage and strengthen, and we can pray and pray with me and stand with me and give good good God-centered you know, counsel or at least support or encouragement into this process, into this whole situation. I can trust I've taken the time to build a little bit of it. All of a sudden, those relationships are huge. And the investment we make at the time that I spent trying to learn his word or read it, try to, you know, get acquainted with, all of a sudden now, oh boy, those words, they mean so much to me. All of a sudden, the scriptures that I've read, all of a sudden, they they take on... New meaning. They mean something different when we're in an intense place. It's like I'm looking for a promise here, Lord. Will Your Word within the give me a word within this word that hits me where I need to be, God. I'll write it down. I'll honor it. I'll hold it. It's my word from You. They see this. This these places often confront us, and they force us to start dealing with stuff that we previously would have not looked at. That's why. They can become transformative, and a lot of times by the time god's done and we're done with that situation, it's like an earthquake hit, and the the landscape has been altered on the back end of certain things and we've welcomed the Lord into it and it's hard and pain you know what it's like it's like a fire in the junk, it alters the ecosystem. what was isn't what there what was there is there anymore I, okay, thirdly. Com- Put this up. This is, we'll close with this one. Confining places are usually preparing us for new places and open spaces. Now, for me, this is huge. New assignments and possibilities, new things on the horizon. Weary pilgrim, come on, keep those feet moving. Why? Because we are not alone. There are better days. Faith, faith by faith, they're, they're ahead of us. I can see it on the horizon. It's far away, but I can see it. Lord, show me my way. Show me what you're about to birth through this very difficult season of either questioning or pain or suffering or hurt or wound or loss or limitation, my confinement that is so hard for me. Don't let me be reckless. Don't let me be foolish. Don't let me give up, Lord. Let me Remind me again that you're preparing me for something new, something good, something about to be birthed, like Mary being pregnant with Messiah, like like Elijah in the cave, like, like yeah, Jonah in the belly of a fish waiting to get out. Where are we to- You know, I go back to Zechariah in that first chapter of Luke that I referred to him earlier because he was the one that lost his voice, right? Just with me. He lost his voice. And Zechariah, you read, you go, you know, it's interesting. Luke's account opens up with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth who become the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the prophet who says, he comes to prepare the way of the Lord. And John the one they ended up calling the Baptists is he baptized people under repentance in anticipation of the coming Messiah, right? John was born in his own way, kind of a miraculous way. His parents were very old. Zechariah is pictured when you read his account. It, he, he's like, he, he gets this, he, he has this situation occur in the temple. He's told he's going to have a child. He doesn't believe it. And the Lord essentially says to the angel, you're not going to talk again until that child is born. That son's coming, but you didn't believe he's coming. So guess what is a sign to remind you that he's coming? I'm taking away your voice. And he didn't speak. Flash forward, not only has Elizabeth gotten a child, to everybody's amazement, it's a much older woman who is probably in most people's eyes beyond the age when you should be having one or could have one. She not only has one, she brings them to full term. And by the time they're done, this baby's born well in their culture and their society as as with accordance with the law they held back on the name till the eighth day that's the circumcision ceremony they have that ceremony they bring the family in all the family comes from a long ways away from the you know towns villages family friends it's a big festive occasion at this time they're going to present this baby to the Lord they're going to give him his official name And the name is usually a name connected to the family. So most likely it's going to be Zechariah's Jr. or something like that, right? And everybody's expecting that. This is their only son. This is a miracle boy. He's got to be like his dad. His dad still can't talk. All this time, he hasn't been able to speak since he came out of that temple moment. And that exchange occurs. They get there and they say, okay, the family says, okay, so you're going to name the baby, right? You're going to name him Zechariah, right? Elizabeth says, "No. His name is going to be John." They say, well, "What do you mean, John? We don't have any Johns in our family. We have Zechariah's Zach- in our family, and he's the only son that you have. Surely, his name can't be John." And then they says, "You read the account." They says, "They turn and they they, they basically say, oh. and they turn to Zechariah." Who can't talk, and so they start they start gesturing to him, you know, we don't want him to be named. You don't want the baby to be named John, do you? And then (laughs) it's fantastic. But also says that he he basically says, "Give me a tablet." He doesn't say it. I don't know how he does it, right? (laughs) Right. I don't know what he says. He writes his. He doesn't say it again name is his name is John that's what it says as soon as he shows them that his voice comes back his name is John and then it says he starts he, he, he just starts praising God he's like walking around the room praising God that's the picture. It's amazing. All of a sudden. And then he gives us like this, um, uh, I mean, this beautiful, this in the Bible, just the way the Bible's language describes it, the Holy Spirit comes upon this man, and he starts to speak poetry in the name of the Lord. And he says, and part of those, one of those pieces of it, is pro- of the prophecy of what his son is going to pave the way for is such a beautiful statement. He says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. It's like a beautiful thing. F- words flowing out of his mouth, right? After a season of complete silence, all of a sudden comes this birthing, bursting through of a new thing that God is doing. It's, it's like, and by the way, the eighth day is, eight is always a new day. It's the number of new beginning, right? Everything about it spoke of something of a breakthrough. A lot of times these places, right, we think, oh, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. But then we see that when God's in it, like all of a sudden, boom, it breaks open. It breaks open. And a new, something new is born out of you, born right through you. All of a sudden, there's a new thing God is doing that wasn't there before. A new, a new boy, a new life, a new word, new praise. Something that God does that wasn't ever going to happen in any other way, but it comes out of this place of confinement. But when it breaks out, boy, it's beautiful. It's the better days. It's, it's, it's what the Lord does. And as I look at that, oh, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish it with this. So how do we, what do we do then if we're in this place of confinement? How do we get from here to there? I'm gonna only put this up, and it's fast. We'll leave it with this. But I feel I would be remiss if I didn't. Here's the deal, as I see it. What do we do when we're in these confining places and we want to some point see this breakthrough, but we're not anywhere close to it? What do I do? Here's a few things, keep it there. Align our perspective, anchor yourself in the promise. Like Paul in his unshakable confidence in the goodness and faithfulness of God, Anchor it in. Anchor it in. Anchor it in. Like remind yourself, align and anchor yourself. Because when you're anchored, I was thinking about when you're anchored, you might float a little ways around, right? But you're not going anywhere when you're anchored in. It's like, I might question God. I might drift here. I might drop into a poor attitude. My faith may, may falter at times. I may buckle with my attitude. I might start feeling really sorry for myself. I might want to give up. But you know what? I'm anchored in there. And because I'm anchored in there, I, I'm going gonna, gonna to hold. I'm going to hold. I'm going to get through this thing. And I'm going to come out better. Be patient with the process. Let it play. But you know how bad I got to get out of here? Be patient with the process but you don't know how much pain in it be patient with the process why are you doing this god i I can't stand this i got to get out of this be patient with the process and then then look refuse to become defined by the negativity power words don't speak out, speak out, don't speak out. Out of the mouth, we create things with our words. Power is in the mouth. Power is in the tongue. Power is in our words. Words have power. Words reinforce things. There's power of life and death in the, in the tongue. Do not speak the, the negativity and the death words over our lives. Speak the life of Jesus over them. Practice. There it is. Practice trusting God. Notice that. Practice. That means it's not something we get always do right. I'm practicing. I'm practicing this. I I may not get it right. I'm going to keep practicing trusting him. What does that mean when I start my attitude starts to get corrupted? When I start to like try to panic, when I wanna get out prematurely and, and not really learn what I'm supposed to learn, when I'm trying to get sort of like I can I can abort the life he's trying to bring right? Through my words and attitudes. Lord, help me to practice trusting, to align myself with your words and your promises. Stay close to your words. Keep your promise as my own. Find a promise. Hold it in you, right? And then be open to learning. Now I want to be open to the opportunity that could come to me in no other way. Show me my way. Show me my way. Show me my path of growth. Show me my way of breakthrough. All right? And then we'll close with this prayer. Because we've got the time of giving coming, our, our offering time, and our closing song. And That closing song is poetically connected. I mean, there's a part in that song that we're about to share and close the service out with where it, that song opens up, and it's like that moment where that, that, that when a Zechariah just bursts out, it's, it's almost like God opens something up that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for it to open up. And then it does, the green fields that opens up in front of us, it's like, wow, Lord, these better days that I've been hoping for and moving towards, now I see what you're doing. Okay, with that in mind, let me close with this prayer. Lord, I ask that the confining place, and again, we can pray this this week just to be united, but Lord, I ask that the confining places of my life, though hard, may be my learning spaces. I want to learn from them. You are the one who can teach me about what matters and who I really am. Please, please use these confining places to transform me and prepare me for the new paths you want me to walk down. Yes, please, repurpose, repurpose even my most difficult limitations into something beautifully better. In your name, Jesus, we pray this, amen.